The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to another edition of the Bird Calls podcast. I'm your host and contributor to thebirdrights.com, Preston Ellis. I'm super tired. My dog hates thunderstorms, and uh, one hit us at about 4.30 a.m., so she was just like leaning over me, all 75 pounds of her. But we're going to rock this because we are celebrating a winning streak. Uh, For the first one, and I can't remember how long. Uh, To help us party here on Super Bowl Sunday, we have the editor-in-chief, the man who will not tolerate subpar officiating, one Mr. Ohel Cosell. Hello, Ollie. <laughs> What's up, Preston? Nice introduction. Yeah, there's somebody for the case you guys probably don't know is somebody on Twitter likes to refer to me, even though my name's spelled fully right there for everybody to see on Twitter. <laughs> O-L-E-H-K-O-S-E-L. Somebody keeps referring to how is it spelled, Preston? O-H-E-L. And it's not one person. That's the funny thing. It's been two people this week. Oh, okay. Great. Damn. Well, I'm going to ignore that, but I will not ignore the officiating, because Zion is getting hammered and there are no whistles. And yeah, we'll get to that, though. I'm not happy about that. Wait, next up, we have Disney superfan, proud uh, pop parent and pup parent, I think, a veteran. And while there may be many fish in the sea, there's only one on our podcast. Mr. David Fisher, how are you, sir? Ah, is he After muted? that introduction. I know. Oh, <laughs> is he muted? He's muted. Okay. I didn't want to talk to him anyway. Forget Fish. We're not even going to talk to him this episode. We're just going to move on to the man who's always twinning, just like Wanda and her beautiful, uh, now silver-haired brother, Pietro, Mr. Jamal Dunn. How are those babies? Uh, the babies are doing fine. Uh, we were just talking about it before we got on. They're doing great. Uh, they're, they're growing and resting. I'm not doing any resting. We're growing. <laughs> well, so, you know. I know. You had to write the recap last night. Ugh rough yeah yeah and they they woke up like right at the uh end of the game because like i was telling you you would see them around 11. so they woke up right at the end of the game and i was trying to like feed them and get the stats and all that it was it was a mess but we got it done so way to go dad you describe not growing. I went to drop off a birthday present for a friend, and I was nervous just because we've been in this pandemic so long. There's only a handful of people that I've even interacted with, and I was like, do I know how to make small talk in person anymore? Uh, so my growth is being stymied. Let's let's go ahead and dive on into this basketball game. Uh, a decisive victory over Phoenix, an impressive hold-the-line type performance against Indiana, and finally a 16-point swing in just over seven minutes uh, last night when but it seemed the Pelicans were going to let another one uh, slip away. They played their best basketball with a 23-7 to run. Ali, since Alonzo and Redick were floated in trade talks, the Pelicans have the NBA's fourth best net rating. Are we witnessing the birth of a good basketball team? You know, you feel like they, they are, Preston, because for as bad as everything was beforehand, where nothing was working, right, outside of getting the scoring from B.I. and Zion, they weren't playing cohesively. The uh, su- supporting cast was not contributing. Lonzo was mired in, you know, some bad confidence issues, it seemed like. Reddick was as ice cold as, you know, he's been for his career. Jackson Hayes was just a net negative anytime he got on the floor. Um, Bledsoe was on and off, mostly off, you know. And, man, you didn't know what was happening or what was going to happen with this team, right? They had lost, I think, 
eight of nine during that stretch, but of course it included that Western Conference trip. But still, they had that bad loss to Minnesota, and there was maybe one or two others, including um, uh, I forget whatever that, that other bad loss was. But anyways, they have really turned it around ever since coming home. And it seems like they're now not only um, playing more cohesively, but it's coming on both ends of the court. Stan Van Gundy's now found a rotation I feel like that he can rely on. Thankfully, going to Hernan Gomez, who's proving that even an average backup center is worlds better than what Jackson Hayes can give you right now. And with his latest switch, you know, he's not settling. He uh, took out Nikhil Alexander-Walker, it looks like, at least for the time being, out of the rotation by giving Kyron minutes uh, last night. And I thought that was a great move because Nikhil, honestly, his, I think he's now struggling with some confidence shooting the ball. And so when a guy that's as, you know, score-minded as he is, it's probably a good thing just to sit him down for a game or two. So it feels like Stan's pushing all the buttons. The team is coming together. And they're taking advantage of a little bit, you know, weaker competition. But still, boy, coming up big down the stretch to win some games, especially these last two, that's something I don't think we've seen, right, during this new era uh, under D- David Griffin and Zion Williamson. So you got to be excited. Yeah, for sure. The starters, uh, all plus 14 or better. Uh, plus 14 was Zion. The other four were plus 20 or better. And then the bench, even with the tinkering and as much fun as we have shitting on Melly and Jackson Hayes, the bench still struggling. Negative nine or worse for each of them. That was J.J. Redick. Cairo, we'll talk about him. Negative 16. Willie Hernan Gomez, negative 14. And Josh Hart, negative 16. But they still, they found a way to get it done. Uh, Steven Adams last night hilariously didn't have a rebound until I think like his 23rd or 24th minute. But as soon as he's inserted into the lineup, everything just seems to click. Jamal, I'm going to start with Eric Bledsoe because just when we, you know, want to put him down, take him out like old yeller, he explodes and he redeems himself like from Dumb and Dumber. And last night he had 17 (laughs) points in the second half and he led that surge in the fourth quarter. I want to quit Eric Bledsoe, Jamal, but he just won't let me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was thinking that last night as, as uh, you know, we, we keep trying to bury him. But, but look, Bledsoe, this is who he is. I, I think, look, one of the things about when you acquire a player who's been in the league for a while and so has a reputation and um, is sometimes when they get traded to your team, you start to find out who they really are. Just like when guys, you know, leave the Pelicans and go to other teams. You know, sometimes those fan bases may have unrealistic expectations of what those players really are because when they don't play for your team and you don't watch them all the time, you just kind of see their numbers and, you know, you see what their general reputation is for the player. And, but this is kind of who Bledsoe has been, at least in the last several years, uh, where, you know, he puts up decent numbers. And so it looks like uh, the type of numbers he puts up, you think, oh, well, he's like, you know, this great player when really he's just um, kind of a slightly above average uh, starter, or maybe not even uh, above average starter. But, you know, he comes up big when you think he's not. And then sometimes when you need him, um, he's not there. So I think you're going to continue to see the up and down with him a bit because he feels like a player that doesn't really know his spot in this on this team, right? Um, Zion knows his role. And it seems like that role is expanding, by the way. I guess we'll talk about that. But uh, B.I. knows his role. Steven Adams knows his role. Lonzo appears to, you know, kind of be falling into a role and becoming more comfortable. I don't think Bledsoe knows quite what to do on this team because when we've seen him really be a scoring threat, maybe like in his Phoenix days, they just gave him the ball as sort of the number one option on a, on a, a bad team at the time. Um, and then when we saw him in Milwaukee, he was more of a, you know, not even a secondary guy, more of a third wheel, uh, but still one of the main cogs on that team offensively and defensively. But then on this team, he's sort of an afterthought, right? So a lot of times when I see a game with Eric Bledsoe, I don't even pay attention to what he's doing half the time unless he's messing up. And then I look up and he's got like 19 points or 20 points. And you're like, where did those points come from? Because I didn't see any of them, and I've been watching this whole game. Um, so, yeah, I don't think he's a long-term guy. I think he's a decent, you know, uh, decent um, sort of stopgap at that, I don't even, I guess, one-two position. Um, they're really just playing two-point guards. I think eventually they'll find a better fit uh, for what they need because I don't think Bledsoe is really comfortable in this 
sort of fourth banana roll that he has um, with the Pelicans. Nice. And I want all of our listeners to know that Fish is indeed with us. And when I introduced him, he was talking, but he was muted. So he was talking to himself. <laughs> uh, our, our starters have been solid, Fish, and we're going to talk about this in a moment. However, you have a tweet thread about just how much the Pelicans have struggled just to have their starters on the floor together. And most importantly, this, the starters are playing really well this year. But second most importantly is they're all healthy. And they've been healthy for the entire season, 21 games. And now they're starting to put it all together. Uh, tell us a bit about some of the research you did this morning when you were compiling how much these starting units had played together uh, in the past two seasons versus this one. Well, uh, I, actually, I while while you guys were doing the introductions, I was I was compiling more. Um, so the Pelicans, and I'm going to go back a ways from from Anthony Davis's rookie season, so 2012-13. All right, the Pelicans have only had five lineups log at least 275 minutes over the course of that, that what, seven, eight seasons? Um, actually, this would be season number nine. So, no, season number eight. So, over the last eight seasons, the Pelicans have had only five lineups log at least 275 minutes. Wow. Um, so just going through those um one of them is actually from anthony davis's rookie season um for the pelicans fans who have been with us for a long time um this lineup featured the um general grievous vasquez at point guard eric gordon at shooting guard al farouk amino al at small forward anthony davis at power forward and robin lopez at center and that lineup logged 505 minutes together, which is the most of any five-man lineup since 2012. Um, some of the other lineups here that the, the other four high-usage lineups would be Rondo, Holiday, Etwan Moore as your small forward, Anthony Davis, and DeMarcus Cousins. They logged 408 minutes. Um, then the, um, the actual the lineup from the playoffs from the 2014-15 season, um, which would be, I'm sorry, yeah, the 2014-15 season, which would be Tyreek Evans, Eric Gordon, Quincy Pondexter, Anthony Davis, and Omer Ashik um, back when he was playing basketball. And then the starting lineups from the last two seasons, which would be, you know, what we have now and the um, lineup with Holiday and Favors. So this lineup um, – compares quite well to those other five lineups. Um, they have a positive net rating of 9.6. And and this is kind of impressive when you think about it, because I think a, a lot of people have centered on the fact that the Pelicans' biggest weakness would be offense. Um, this lineup is the best offense of any of them by quite some distance, actually. They are putting up an offensive rating of 118. Um, over those 275 minutes. And they've been absolutely on fire over the um, the last seven games, which the Pelicans have been five, five and two over the last seven games since they got back from that horrific road trip. Um, just it, it, when I was looking it up, it just it blew my mind how good it's been. Um, so that that lineup is just it's annihilating teams is what I said. They're posting a plus 37.4 net rating over the last seven games, which is unholy. Um, and, but the thing is, is that the other lineups that the Pelicans have primarily leaned on over the last seven games have also done very well. And pretty much we've seen two iterations of that. You have Zion plus the bench, which last night was um, Kyra, Redick, Josh Hart at small forward, and then Willie Hernan Gomez at center. Um, you have that iteration of the lineup, and then you have the lineup that the, that they're using um, to be able to get Zion the rest so that he can be the fulcrum of the bench unit, which is Bledsoe, Lonzo, Josh Hart as your small forward. You slide Brandon Ingram down to power forward, and then Stephen Adams. So those two lineups have, have still been in, incredibly positive over the last three game, uh, seven games. Obviously, that's in much smaller, um, a, a much smaller sample size. But the thing is, is that the starters have just been annihilating teams, and especially 
the big run that the Pelicans had last night was when they got the starters back on the floor. And if you ask me what's the biggest difference that we see from a Stan Van Gundy coach team to an Alvin Gentry coach team is Stan Van Gundy will go back to his starters at the end of games and he trusts them to finish games. Whereas Alvin Gentry always wanted to commit to going small at the end. And it was very rare that the Pelicans would go back to their starting five to close the game. Yeah, having Steven Adams out there is so critical. Uh, I, I know that Derek Favors wasn't always in there to close games. Josh Hart would be out there to close games. And it feels good to be able to trust your starters, and they have been phenomenal. I just had some water, and it went down the wrong way. This isn't going well. Uh, Ollie, take it for me. Save me. Uh, Will, what do you want to talk about? Steven Adams? Uh, we can talk about Steven Adams. Uh, I got a little bit of water in. I got I just, you. Well, I yeah. think we should – Talk about, honestly, these last two wins and maybe the positives, and especially with the fourth quarter, right, to close out games, something that's been, you know, missing in action outside of the last time they made the playoffs, really, um, for years. So, to me, personally, I I highlighted, like, several things. I went back and rewatched some stuff. And what you basically saw, I feel like, was the Pelicans just simply manned up and took advantage because at the 717 mark, Memphis was leading by seven. If everybody remembers, 102-95. And it felt like they were headed for another one of those epic fourth quarter meltdowns, despite, of course, having that big win against Indiana the you know previous 24 hours. But what started the run was, I think, key. And I think that's what got them going. Um, and so what happened, Bledsoe got up in close, missed a kind of a lane, but then the Pelicans started pounding that offensive glass. And I think Memphis made a mistake, by the way, guys. They were playing Tyus Jones and Morant at the same time. But either way, Adams came up with a big offensive rebound, then Josh Hart, and Bledsoe finally converted because he missed the one up and close, missed a three, but then he nailed a three. And I felt like then for the rest of the game, they played on a string together, something that I know Monty and I know Fish will remember this, we used to talk about. You want to have the team move like an amoeba to where they're covering for one another, making the right plays, but everybody's kind of connected. And I feel like we saw that over the final seven minutes. And even though for the game, um, there were some, you know, defensive errors, I, I want to say, especially with the, you know, the poor closeouts in the first half. But when it came down to crunch time, you saw that. And I feel like we're seeing that now building with this team. Cause I mean, they made a couple key turnovers, you know, you saw the offense. It wasn't in scramble mode. It wasn't resorting to ISO ball. And that had been a problem all season. Um, but last night, Nope, it, it, something different happened where they were now taking smarter shots to where Brandon Ingram, if he saw he had an advantage, there wasn't a wall, he would back down the smaller guy, get off a nice little shot in the paint. Um, but if there were doubles on either him or Zion, they were kicking it out. And they did that throughout the entire game. So you're seeing something, I think, building here that's really exciting. Anybody else want to add anything to that, what you saw in the last few minutes or so? Well, one thing I had to add, it was, um, about Zion, right? So there were two things I kind of noticed about him late in the game, um, at least on the offensive end, where, so there was, and Zion kind of mentioned after the game that he felt like, um, kind of a passing comment, but he, that he just felt like they were letting him be him uh, more and more as, as the games go on here. And so there was one play where he uh, got, I forget what big it was, may have been Valanciunas or, Somebody, but somebody clearly slower than him, and he pulls him out, and you know, almost it looked like almost like LeBron, where LeBron gets a match, uh, a mismatch, and realizes there's zero percent chance that this guy can stop him. Pulls him out, <laughs> drives directly to the basket, gets an easy bucket. Um, that was one, and then the other was when he caught the ball on uh, the left block, drives across the lane, and then you know finds a, a shooter um, over on the wing, which he did you know, several times in the game. They didn't hit all the shots, but he did several times. Um, and I just kind of contrast that to earlier in the season where it felt like Zion would just, you know, drive into the lane and there would be four guys all, mm -hmm. you know, trying to stop him and he would just throw something up. Amazingly, a lot of times he would get it to fall, but many times it would, it would miss or, um, you know, or a lot of times he would lose the ball or a lot of turnovers early in the season that way. Um, and it feels like he's starting to settle in and, and we're starting to see those parts of this game that were always there, right? That, that ability, that vision, and uh, the ability to pass off of the drive has always been there. But 
it just seemed like early on he just felt like he had to, you know, he, he had to go in there and just throw up whatever he could get up uh, instead of trusting his teammates. And, look, you just live with the shot, right? Sometimes they're going to miss. But it's about making the right play and playing the right way, um, which, which will ultimately get you where you're trying to go. So, so I was kind of impressed with that, you know, late in the game. And then also that they didn't fall into the, the BI um, ISO, ISO trap. You know, he, he can be so good in that mid-range. It feels like he can just, you know, get that. But teams give you those shots for a reason. Um, and, and even down the stretch, they wouldn't live, live with it. So it was nice to see that they didn't fall into that trap. I want to follow up on that with Fish. Um, Zion was in the post last night, and Brandon Ingram was over on the perimeter, uh, and he, he got the entry pass to Zion. Zion put it on the floor, and as soon as he put it on the floor, he kicked it back to B.I. because he just anticipated that as soon as he put the ball on the floor, the defense was going to collapse. They did. B.I. was wide open, hit the three. I feel like, uh, like Jamal described, we're – we're seeing him get more comfortable, but we're also seeing his his array of skills, his playmaking skills evolve right before us. Does it feel like to you that the game is getting simpler for him, that he's seeing something that he didn't see previously, or or do you think this is just a matter of the ball going through Zion more often? Um, it's both, I think. A, a lot of the fact that he is, I mean, he does have the ball a lot more. They're having him bring the ball up. Um, for instance, um, I'm looking, he has, he has four total games this season where I'm sorry, he has five total games this season where he has four assists or more of those, of those, uh, six games with four assists or more, five of them have come in the last two weeks. That a lot of that is the fact that the game's getting simpler for him. We forget sometimes that he's only played like 40 some games in his entire NBA career at this point. Um, but I think a lot of that also is the coaching staff one. And we heard Stan Van Gundy before the game started actually in his press availability, he said we're trying to put more on his plate there. And what I got from it is they're trying to put more on Zion's plate, but they're trying to do it incrementally because while they're asking more and more of him offensively, one of the biggest areas he still needs to improve is defensively. And you can't get to a point where he has so much on his plate on offense that he's not making the improvements. He doesn't have just the capacity to do more on defense and they need him to do both. Um, I feel like they're, they're trying to strike that balance. And then two, the coaching staff is getting in positions. Like let's run a set where Brandon Ingram is the entry passer. Cause actually that play was one I was about to bring up while Jamil was talking about it was look, Brandon Ingram executed a very simple entry pass. As soon as Zion puts the ball on the floor, Ingram's guy begins to sag down. Zion anticipates that, gets the ball out, and it's it's a warm-up jumper for Brandon Ingram. He couldn't be more wide open. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a lot of that, and I feel like while the Pelicans have been shooting a lot, a lot better behind the arc, I think we do have to understand that I feel like the Pelicans are getting better shots behind the arc, not just in terms of their openness, but in terms of they're more catch and shoot looks. People have their feet underneath them. Um, Redick has been shooting lights out actually for the past couple games. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the coaching staff is they're watching a lot of tape. They're adjusting. They've already talked about how Zion and Zion Ingram and Stan Van Gundy sit and they, and they watch tape after every game together, the three of them. And that's not just Stan Van Gundy. I, I, I don't feel at least that that isn't just Stan Van Gundy preaching to them. These are the things you did wrong here. This is the thing. This is the right thing that you did here and just all on the defensive end. I think that's probably a very collaborative environment right there between the three of them where he's trying to see what they're seeing and, and the, the conduit of information they're getting. And we're seeing it apply in terms of how the Pelicans are trying to run their offense, where they're trying to get those two guys touches and where can they get those two guys touches where both of them are involved. And what we're seeing is, is that the game plan, if 
is evolving. The playbook is evolving to try to maximize those two players' skill sets. Um, and when you take like the really long, you know, view of this and you and you put it down the line at you know by the end of this season or early next season you can easily see where zion not only does he create a lot of his offense on his own for himself but um he's going to get to a point here hopefully very soon where he's going to be averaging four to five assists a game at minimum um and when you consider just how much of his offense he is required he he creates on his own like he's only assisted on under 60 percent of his field goal attempts right now um inside inside the arc and that is an incredibly low number for someone who's only 20 years old it's not just that he's scoring at a high a high rate he's scoring at a high rate and he's creating it for himself and now he's showing that he can create it for others too and what we're seeing is maybe the marriage of that really high level coaching teaching coaching staff mentality where it is a two-way street between zion ingram and stan gundy and the rest of the coaching staff where they are changing how they run the offense so that they can maximize those two players and also for the long term what it's doing in terms of the pelicans abilities to create shots down the stretch because what we saw last night especially down the stretch was the 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 offense ran through Zion and Ingram, and that's been happening for the past two weeks, especially the offense is going through Zion and, and Ingram. But what we've seen in the last two weeks versus what we saw on the road trip is it's less isolation ball. It's more within the system and within within the offense that the the Pelicans are finding ways to get them touches on the move and things like that. And it just from my perspective, when you're looking at what it's gonna what it's gonna mean long term, when you think of Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram as your two primary shot creators for the offense, um, that changes how you want to build the team around them um, long term. Yeah, we're gonna talk a bit more about the. Oh, sorry, get in there, Jamal. Oh, I mean, it's super quick point to add was something I heard Stan Van Gundy say after the game, which was. <laughs> really refreshing. So he said that he had been talking to Zion and, and Brandon Ingram about how to make the transition from guys who put up numbers to guys who actually affect winning. Um, and I think that's something that you don't, it, it's, it's, it's kind of something that you don't hear talked about as much. Maybe previous coaches were talking about it, but never said it publicly. I don't know. But it was really refreshing to hear a coach say, to actually acknowledge the fact that there's a difference between the two, right? There's a difference between somebody who can put up numbers and looks like they're amazing because their stats, their personal stats are so great, but don't affect winning. Um, and, and it can kind of be a mirage in the NBA of guys. You know, we saw that with AD, um, not to take a shot at him, but, you know, he, he put up big numbers, but he didn't really affect winning in New Orleans. And I think Stan Van Gundy, early on in the career of Zion and B.I., it's nice to know that at least on the head coach's mind is how to teach them to play in a way that leads to winning over just putting up great stats, even though they're going to get great stats regardless. Yeah. And Zion still has a lot of developing uh, to do. He's only going to get better. There were two instances specifically that I was uh, able to spot in last night's game. One was in transition where he just simply stopped paying attention and Dylan Brooks got behind him for an easy transition bucket. There was another time uh, where Hernan Gomez clearly needed help. Uh, he was trying to fight off pick and roll, got a got a, a step behind whoever was penetrating at the time. And Zion just watched him take a, a walk right to the cup. Didn't come over to help, didn't rotate nothing, uh, didn't communicate nothing. So he's going to get better at that he's going to get cleaner at that he's going to recognize those things faster and he's only going to get better but as it stands right now this is insane Stephen Adams Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball make the Pelicans point are 18.4 15.5 and 15.4 uh, points better per 100 possessions they're over 15 points better than their opponents per 100 possessions individually. That's all three of them. They rank in the 97th and the 92nd percentile. That's insane. And then you've got Bledsoe and Zion at 70 and 68. Uh, I think it's Ollie's turn. Here's one I want to pivot to now. 
we're really hard on Melly. We're really hard on Jackson Hayes. We've been hard on Nikhil in in the previous couple of games. Last night, uh, Kyra Lewis, even though he you know showed uh, impressive verbs on the defensive end, that that handsome Euro, he's got that step back. Like they're all showing us signs that they can be good players. However, collectively as a unit, they suck. They suck. They continue to suck. Mm. Even with the starting lineup just blowing the doors off the Grizzlies last night, every time the bench goes in, they flounder, Ollie. And it, it's not one player because we've seen the bright spots from each of them individually, but collectively as a unit, they're just not performing, Ollie. What, what can Stan Van Gundy <laughs> I'm gonna do? I'm going to calm you down. I'm going to really <laughs> calm you down. Before last night's game, I thought the bench had played really well. And then yesterday they came and faced a Memphis buzzsaw. If you think back to the first quarter, the way Memphis closed it out, what did they do? They couldn't miss a three-point shot. You saw Melton hit one, Tillman, Valanchunas, I think, had two. Before he came in the game, Dieng hit one. I mean, seriously, those plus-minus stats, I don't think, give true uh, a true perspective on exactly how the bench played last night. Honestly, I thought Josh Hart might have been probably the most mediocre guy off the bench. But that... Overall, his effort was good. And for the rest of the guys, I thought it was just fine, to be honest with you. So for people complaining about Hernan Gomez, I saw him setting good screens. He had a nice tip in. Remember, he came up with a block. He boxes out. His fundamentals, I think, are really appreciative, at least for myself and probably Stan Van Gunny, because he does hold down, for the most part, the paint from having you know severe breakdowns from when you know either Jackson Hayes or Melly are in the game. Um, Kyra, yeah, he, he made a couple of mistakes, but I'll tell you what, his instincts are really shining. Not only did he come up with that key steal, I think, when Memphis was kind of trying to run away with the game in the fourth quarter that he grabbed, you know, around the mid-court line and came in and finished well. He had two other great breaks on the ball to where it should have been steals, but they ended up just being deflections. And, of course, he also showed an ability to finish around the rim over, you know, seven-footers. He's a 19-year-old kid without any experience, so... I'm giving him a you know a check for what I saw out of him. So Hernan Gomez, Kyra, both not a problem. Um, JJ Redick, yeah, Preston, you already mentioned he's been shooting better. But you know what? It seems like he does every game. He takes at least one charge, or and or he also sets these great screens that nobody's talking about. Just watch next time he's in the game with Zion, he's going to go up to Zion's whoever whoever's defending him, set this mean screen where he gets his base really spread out wide. He really leans into it, but guess what? It gets Zion open every time. And therefore, Zion's got a little bit of room to get a running start to the rim or, you know, just room to operate to where he'll hit J.J. back for a nice quick jumper. You know, there, there's something going on here with the bench that I still think is a positive. So don't just look at those plus minus numbers from last night because I don't think it's truly reflective. I think Stan has stumbled upon something that is working. It's at least keeping the Pelicans from, you know, relinquishing these big leads or allowing mem- or opponents to uh, basically, you know, take a five-point lead and turn it into 15 in two minutes. So, no, Preston, I don't agree with you at all. Well, that's uh, – I'm going to jump in on that because the Pelicans bench the previous two games um, with um, the same unit, um, but with Nikhil instead of Kyra. Um, so the Redick, Hernan Gomez, Hart, um, Zion – and and Nikhil, um, that lineup over two games, 16 minutes, posted a net rating of plus 29.4. Boom. So hey, that's good so the, shit. So um, last night, um, that that unit with Kyra instead of Nikhil posted a net rating of minus 30. Um, but I don't like. But Memphis, you I, but, but you saw Memphis made a shitload of shots, man. Yeah, that, I mean, that, I think I, I think. I think you you still go back to that lineup um and and the really the foundation of that lineup is Hart Hart Zion and Hernan Gomez and then the situation is what two guards do you want mm-hmm. um and then what I uh, mentally where I get to very quickly is eventually that should be Kyra and Nikhil and you move Redick because I mean, he Reddick's going. To, I will be shocked if the Pelicans do not trade JJ Reddick by the trade deadline. Agreed. Like obviously, they were holding him out um, because there was the reaggregation deadline, and there was they must have been close or close enough that they thought they were going to make make something happen. Um, but then he comes back in and he's been knocking down shots, and maybe that helps the Pelicans because people don't think, oh, JJ Reddick, who's always been a hot shooter. Um, 
had a cold streak for a, a couple weeks and he forgot to shoot and then he'll come back and, and but a lot of that what you were talking about which was Hernan Gomez Hernan Gomez is racking up screen assists left and right considering mm-hmm. how how few games he's played and if my um yeah, there we go um so yeah, over the time out. Okay, you got it. No, I, no, I got it. So over the last over the last seven games, right? Hernan Gomez is third on the team in screen assists with eleven. He's racked up eleven screen assists in only eighty-five minutes. The only guys with more screen assists would be Zion Williamson with thirteen, and then obviously Stephen Adams with thirty-two, um, because that's what he does. That's one of the huge things he does. So um, I, I do think that, and the thing is, is that. Uh, and we were discussing it in the chat. It's not a situation where Willie Hernan Gomez is awesome. That's not what I'm trying to say. Willie Hernan yeah, Gomez. None of us are saying that. Yeah. He's competent. And you know what? For your bench unit, if your big man can just be competent, um, he hasn't made one of those corner threes yet, but he looks like he's competent in shooting them. Um, and if he can just be competent, and be in the right place defensively. I feel like he's made a lot of really good defensive plays that don't end up racking up any kind of statistic whatsoever, except for the other player missed the shot, but he's in the right place. He has his hands up. Um, And from what the Pelicans had before being in the right place and having your hands up, that's a massive improvement. So just be seven feet tall, be in the right place, put your hands up in the air, don't foul everything that moves, and good things will happen. So I do think that he is stumbling on something that is going to work long-term in terms of the bench. Are they going to put up that massive net rating? No, but I don't need them. I, personally, I wouldn't think that the Pelicans need that bench unit to put up a massive net rating. What it needs to do is just hold serve. They just need to not get their doors blown off. Um, And I think long-term, that bench unit can accomplish that. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Bet online. The fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. For sure. Uh, let's go over to Jamal right now. Uh, we, we've been kind of tinkering with the unit between giving Nikhil Alexander-Walker meaningful minutes to now Kyra Lewis. Uh, what are you seeing about the two of those? How do you feel about Stan Van Gundy kind of going with the hot hand every week? Or at least that's that's how it appears right now. Right now, Kyra's getting those minutes. Do you think at some point he goes back to Naw, or is Naw just kind of stuck in jail until J.J. Reddick gets moved? Um, no, I, I think they'll go back to Naw at some point. I mean, Naw, I mean <laughs> he's shown enough. Um, throughout the season so far, you know, that you, that you can, you know, put them back into the rotation at some point. I think it may have just been kind of a numbers game, you know, lately with him exiting the rotation and wanting to get Kyra some extended run because, you know, previous to that, Kyra was getting, you know, he's getting in doing blowouts. Um, and most of the time it was the Pels getting blown out, but he was getting in doing blowouts and he might get five, six, eight minutes really kind of tough to develop like that. So you need to see some extended stretches. 
And quite frankly, Kyra has has equipped himself well enough that you feel like giving him a little bit more. But I think that's going to ebb and flow. Kyra's, uh, as Ali mentioned, he's 19. I don't think he's ready for like a every night rotation, you know, spot necessarily. Uh, you know, getting you know he got close to 20 minutes last night. I think it was 18 and a half. So I don't think he, that's going to be the case going forward. I think. Yeah, if JJ gets moved, that definitely brings uh, Nob back into the rotation uh, on a regular basis. But even if JJ doesn't get moved, I think they're going to need Nikhil. We we, we were just talking about the bench unit, um, and Nikhil is one of the few guys of the actual bench uh, players. Now, a lot of times when there's bench guys out there, there's also a starter out there, so it's not like they're you know just subbing all five guys in, but. Um, of the actual bench players, there's not that many of them that can create their own shot. And Nikhil's one of one of the few, and Kyra's making strides there, but he's still early. So I, there's definitely a place for him in the rotation. Um, I actually like taking young players out of the – as long as they can handle it, right? Which, you know, if they can't handle it, then they probably weren't going to work out long-term anyway. But as long as they can handle it emotionally and be mature about it and not get down on themselves for – not playing for a few games. I actually like taking young players out of rotation for uh, a, a short period so they can get a breather, see the game from a different perspective. Is is why even though uh, I I've been somebody who's you know been pro Hayes because I, I like his you know long term upside. You know we'll see if he ever gets there, but I don't mind taking him out because if you're not executing um, at the level the team needs, well you need to know that you can't just allow players to um, to 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 show up and and give uh, an an effort that's not what the team needs and and act like that's okay because if if you do then that's what players are going to do and that's going to filter onto other players who who can say hey well if Jackson can just blow an assignment and stay out there then why can't I you know but if you don't allow that that's how those young players can grow so you know I think Nikhil you know his work ethic he'll get he'll get probably motivated from this to be even better than, than he's been in spots. Um, but, you know, defensively he's been, he's been solid at times. He at least gives an effort. And offensively we've seen, you know, great things out of him at times. So, you know, I have no issues with uh, Nikhil as a long-term um, rotation guy, especially on the bench uh, where, where the Pels are going to need help going forward. So, yeah, it's probably – a waiting period for JJ to be gone because you do need to showcase him a little bit. And it's nice that his shooting is picking up, you know, so teams can feel like, okay, it was just a slump. It's not JJ falling off a cliff. Um, and if he gets moved, yeah, the kills right back in the rotation. But I think Stan will find a way to get him back on the court, you know, even if JJ isn't moved uh, very soon. And it'll probably ebb and flow between him and Kyra, just trying to get both of those guys the experience they need. Yeah, for sure. I think we've all seen enough from Na to know that he's going to be a player. He's already shown a penchant for microwave scoring that 37-point game. But also in the summer league, like, the kids just got it, and it's just a matter of getting him those reps. And that's that's why this season has always been kind of confounding to me, because you've got all these young players who need to see the floor at some point, but you've also got some, you know, a group of veterans who want to win games. And at some point, there there has to be a delineation between what your your absolute goal is and i think that's that's been the the difficult part to tread i don't even remember where we are now are we going to to fish now uh, or to ollie <laughs> well fish is the uh, the mayor of novio right so <laughs> yeah, that's true we've done plenty on Na. i feel like we'll circle back to Na when when he's back in the rotation in a week or so okay. uh and and we talked about hernan gomez he's obviously been impressive and exactly what this unit needs why don't we go ahead and dive into some listener questions uh Perfect. this is from finn he's got some good ones uh kyra the starting pg of the future uh i i definitely think we've seen enough to see that he can become that but let's let's do this one fish uh, because you did uh, a breakdown of Zion and Ingram's numbers, I want to say over the last seven games, I think they were nearly identical. Both had a true uh, efficiency, true uh, true shooting uh, percentage over sixty percent. They were both doing something like twenty-five, five and five over the uh, the last five games. Just it seems like they're just humming. They're on the same page, and they're getting on the same page on the defensive end as well. So, how would you rank them, Fish, among NBA's top duos? And he's muted. Uh, <laughs> fish, you're muted. You're muted. If you could hear me, fish, 
Oh, he left us. He left us right Wait, in that he's moment. Coming. Okay, uh, so I'll just I'll just kill a little bit of time. Obviously, you know, you start with LeBron, you start with AD, uh, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard have to be in there somewhere. Um, and then from there, I'll turn it over to one Mr. David Fisher, who is still muted. It's still it's still happening. We're going to call this. Oh, I'm back. Episode. Oh, here we no, go. No, I'm back. Uh, What's up? <laughs> okay, I didn't so, hear whatever you were talking about. <laughs> uh, so basically, we're talking about this uh, question from Finn the Human, ranking Zion and Brandon Ingram among top NBA duos. Uh, I'll continue talking while you give yourself some thoughts. Obviously, AD and LeBron. Uh, obviously, Kawhi and Paul George have to be up there. Um, you, you've got Stephen Clay, uh, but like you said, over the past seven games, Zion and Ingram are both doing 25, five and five with a true shooting percentage of over 60%. That's pretty good fish. Yeah, it is pretty good. Um, I need to see more from them defensively. Um, there are a couple other duos that I would put over them right now. Um, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, um, would be very high on my list, especially considering the value of the positions they play and the fact that they are um, contributors on both ends of the floor. Um, and then not it doesn't feel necessarily quite so much as a big duo, but maybe you could you could make a pretty strong argument for Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Um, and they kind of give you a yin and a yang in terms of offense and defense. And then uh, Jamal Murray and uh, Nikola Jokic. Those would be some other duos that I would put um, pretty high on my list. Um, the biggest thing that we need to see, continue to see from, from those two is on the defensive end. What they're doing on offense is incredibly efficient. They are creating shots both for themselves and for others. Um it, it almost seems to me, and it seems really early to say this, but I don't think you can ask for a whole lot more from those two on the offensive end. What we really need to see is more from them on the defensive end. And I think Zion Williamson, um, last night, especially in his postgame um in his postgame comments, he said, you know, that the two of them have stepped up defensively, and it feels like when they defend well, um, it trickles down to the rest to the rest of the to the rest of the roster and very much so um, the your two best players need to buy in defensively and that's that's where they can um, have the most most room to grow but the thing is is that when you think about it the two of those guys are the youngest pair by far of any of those of, of any of those top duos that you would think around the league um, and the the trajectory they're on, especially considering how few games Zion has played and how much he has already improved. Like I feel like Zion is substantially better in his last um, 12 games than he was in the first 12 games that he played this season or the first 10 games that he played this season. And I feel like his his first 10 games that he played this season were still substantially better than what we saw from him last season. Um, he is improving by leaps and bounds, especially on offense. Um, one thing that I wanted to point out that we hadn't discussed um, in a great deal is Zion's managed to cut down a lot on his lost ball um, turnovers. Um, his his handle has tightened up considerably on in that regard. And that is part of the reason why the Pelicans coaching staff can put more on his plate offensively because he can dribble and he can dribble in traffic and it isn't an immediate turnover. And I thought we saw a lot of that in his, you know, in the first stretch of this season, even when the Pelicans were playing well, he would dribble into traffic and lose the ball and end up on the sprawled on the floor a lot. We've seen a lot less of that. And then um, Brandon Ingram, the big area we're seeing him improve, I feel like, is he's not so reliant on just isolation, and he's trusting that he's going to get his shots within the offense. And that's what um, – when he gets his shots in the offense, he gets easier shots. It's something that Antonio um, Daniels on the on the broadcast mentions repeatedly is that Brandon Ingram looks like that's, a, that's an easy shot. That's an easy shot. You know, it's – two dribbles, it's one dribble off of a screen, and then he's just rising up. Whereas sometimes when the Pelicans get bogged down and there's a lot of isolation, Antonio Daniels will say, look at how hard he's working right now. Look at how how much is on his plate. He's doing it all himself. And what what the Pelicans need from the two of them is more on defense, but then 
to continue that trajectory for Zion creating more for others, cutting down on his turnovers and from Brandon Ingram more on defense and then rely less on isolation and trust the offense and trust, trust your teammates that they're going to get you in spots and you don't have to do all the work yourself. You don't have to isolate 35 feet from the hoop and then just hope that one screen from Steven Adams is going to get the job done, trust and run the offense and you'll get your shots within it. Uh, I'm going to go through real fast. I would say Embiid, Simmons, uh, Giannis, and whoever number two is, whether Middleton or Drew, uh, Celtics, we talk them, Durant and whoever else. After that, in the East, I, 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 I mean, maybe Butler and Adebayo, uh, Luca and Chris Stapps, if he ever returns to health. Other than that, maybe CJ and Dame, Jokic and Murray, and then we talked about the other ones. Okay, Ali, this one. Here's is one awesome. to follow. Hey, just real quick, I just want to throw in Trey Young and um, DeAndre Hunter. That's my Ooh. new favorite young up and coming little tandem. All right, and, and I and I honestly think it's better to compare them to other young duos because really? you know LeBron and AD aren't you know getting that much better. They're just awesome, and they're going to remain awesome for a little while until LeBron is gone. But if you compare them, because in let's say five years, that's who Ingram and Zion are going to be competing against uh, in the playoffs. You know for um, you know, for, for, for wins or hopefully championships is the young guys in amongst the young duos. Um, they're right up there, right? Probably only behind Tatum and Brown right now. I think they have a lot more upside, but you know, right now I think those guys are ahead of them. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go over to Ollie. This is also from Finn, the human will the Pels still make a trade. I think we're, we're all in agreement that Reddick is going to be moved. I wanted Bledsoe to be moved the second since we got him. However, when you see performances like that, I think they have to hold on to him until the end of the season. And with Lonzo ball, if he keeps playing, I, I, I had it up. I think over the last six games, he's averaging like something like 17, five and five, not, not world beating, but on the defensive end, he's been playing like an all defensive teamer and he's shooting 50% from three point range on almost eight attempts per game over that time period. Ali, I kind of feel like at this point in time, you're only moving JJ Redick. I think you might be right before this trade deadline. I think without a doubt, Reddick's going to leave this roster one of two ways, either through a trade or I could honestly see Griff just go ahead and wave him to where some playoff team will pick him up for a stretch run, right, to where he can be used in a deep, meaningful playoff run because I think that's what he wants. And both sides see it, right? JJ sees the youth growing. This team's not making waves this season, even if they do get in and – like I said, it, it just makes sense for both parties. But Bledsoe is interesting to me. I, I honestly think that he was never going to be here for the long term. So I could still see him potentially pressing get moved because I'm with you. Ever since they traded for him, I was like, all right, don't unpack your bags. You're going to be <laughs> shipped off somewhere else because you don't make that much sense to the roster for me. But now, you know, with him turning kind of his season, you know, or I should say maybe improving a little bit. Maybe he'll garner some more trade interest because the way he was playing and with the Pelicans losing, you felt like that they were going to be stuck with him and that maybe Lonzo would be the one move. Well, now suddenly I think Lonzo's really proving himself to Griff and to the franchise that, hey, he could maybe still be a key contributor on future you know editions of these Pelicans teams around Zion and B.I. So I don't think Lonzo's going to get moved unless Griffin gets super overwhelmed with some kind of crazy off, and it doesn't sound like they're out there. From the rumors I'm hearing, it, it doesn't sound like it. I don't think even Markin, at least a couple of days ago, was even available for Lonzo. I think Chicago is only willing up to give up something less, a couple small pieces. So, yeah, I mean, I'm with you, Preston. I think Reddick's probably going to be the only one to get moved unless some team jumps up and says, hey, I think we want to take on Bledsoe. Jamal, if the Pelicans keep this up, uh, they've got the Rockets without Christian Wood. They've got the Chicago Bulls. They've got the Dallas Mavericks who have been floundering. They've got the Detroit Pistons. They've got Memphis again. And then they've got the Trailblazers again, who I think are still without CJ McCollum and will be out uh, for the foreseeable future. Still still a tough task. But Jamal, the Pelicans are, are in a good spot. This is the soft underbelly of their schedule. I almost feel like like if they're, yeah, I don't know, like, 13 and 13 a week from now, do you want to move anybody? 
Okay, first of all, realize we're talking about the Pelicans, right? So slow down. <laughs> like, how many times have we done this before? Where, like, they, they get some wins and then the schedule looks nice and and then, you know, they lose four of, four of you know, eight or something like that. Um, so I might pump the brakes a little bit. But, you know, if they continue playing like they're playing, yeah, they've got a chance in the next, you know, five or six games to go four and two, you know, something like that. Um, and which, which at that point puts you above 500 and you're right there in the, in the Western conference playoff race um, and feeling good about yourself, you know, as you get closer to all-star break. So, but I, I still think if you look at how this front office is, is, is approaching things, they are, they're not necessarily so worried about the, the, the here and now, right? They're looking further down the line, you know, like their moves are not, you know, they're, a lot of the moves are not necessarily for right now. So if they see a deal that can put them in a position maybe to move up in the draft or um, to maybe get a younger player who, you know, as soon as you insert another guy into the lineup, you're probably going to take a little bit of a step back for a period of time as, a, as if it's a big piece. Um, as that person gets acclimated. So I, I don't think they would hesitate if it's a long-term piece. So if you're getting, you know, I'm not, I don't think this person is available, but say Shea Gillis-Alexander could be had for like a, a big package of picks and, and stuff, right? Um, of course they would do that deal if that were on the table or if there were, were someone like a Larry Nance who could really solidify their big man rotation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, you I just got fish, fish excited. Come on now. Oh man, <laughs> goodness. <laughs> you're not on mute now, I see. <laughs> but but uh so yeah, if it's something that can help them long term, I think they wouldn't hesitate to sacrifice, you know, a few games down the stretch which may cost them the playoffs or may cost them, you know, and it's not like in other years where you even have a business incentive to make the playoffs because you're gonna get some extra games and you get all this all this revenue that's going to come in uh, that you weren't necessarily counting on um, because there's probably not going to be many fans in there, right? Maybe just a little bit more than there are right now. So even from that perspective, I don't think they would care as much. So yeah, I could still see a trade happening. I, I definitely think Reddick gets moved. I'm not sure about Bledsoe just because he has more time on his deal, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, on balance, his season has just been okay. He's been better, you know, in certain games. But on balance, it's just been okay. So it's not like a team feels so um, so pressured to to bring in Eric Bledsoe. Maybe someone like the Nets, if you could get like a Joe Harris, who's been I don't, I don't know. He's shooting so amazing. I'm not sure the Nets would even, even though they don't even need him, <laughs> surprisingly, you know, for what he brings for them offensively. But if you could get something like that. Sure, they would move Bledsoe, but I think definitely Reddick is probably moved. But who knows? If they go like five and one over these next six, and all of a sudden you're not just in the playoff hunt, you're like in the playoff mix, right? Then, yeah, you probably don't trade Reddick, assuming that he's helping you. Um, you probably don't trade Reddick and you just kind of stand pat and you let him expire because you're not going to get much for him anyway. So it's not like whatever they get for Reddick is going to help him. At best, you're getting a late first, and I don't think you're even getting that. So, um, yeah, if they do excellent over the next, say, 10 games, the, you could probably see them stand pat. But otherwise, I think they probably make the moves that we thought they were going to make all along. All right, Fish, we're at the hour, so I'm going to get one in from Tejeda. How are you feeling about the city jersey? It's growing on me, and it's because they're winning in it. Um, it's, it's actually, it's one of, it's one of the uniforms that I use most often, um, when I'm playing, um, on 2k, um, the red one obviously is the one I use the most and they don't have the earned one, um, as an option, unfortunately. So I can't use that one. So I, I use it, I use it quite a bit. Um, and I like it. It's, it is starting to grow on me a little bit. Um, I, I do think it's a better Jersey than a lot of their, uh, Mardi Gras. Um, attempts have been uh, but overall they really need to find a way to do something that feels like like it really is New Orleans and I think 
the last time the Pelicans had a jersey there, I was like, man, that's New Orleans. Like that is New Orleans weird. That that feels like it's from the city. Was um, when they had the um, if you remember a long time ago, the Mardi Gras uniforms where they were purple on the front and green on the back with the beads going down the sides. And it said Nola really big on the chest. Like the, I think those were the Darren Collison um, Mm -hmm. Mardi Gras jerseys. Like that was the last time that the Pelicans had like, man, that's new Orleans and not just stuff that came over with, you know, the Hornets or, I mean, ever since then, like the, the Pelicans uniforms in general, other than the reds and the earned uniforms that they had have just felt like they were created in a boardroom. And just like, just we're trying to be unoffensive and it says New Orleans on the chest. And then like the font is something that's important or whatever. And you look at it, it at how it all comes together, especially the Navy uniforms. And you're just like, is oatmeal. Like that's, that's the uniform equivalent of oatmeal. Oatmeal's not exciting. No one gets excited about oatmeal. So um, there's, there's still work to be done. Hopefully at some point in the coming years, they have a complete like brand reset. Um, hopefully they, they do that before the team gets really good. Um, but um, outside of the red jerseys, the, there's, and I, I, I wish if I ran the Pelicans right away, what I would do is I would toss out the white jerseys and I would give the, um, the earned ones that they had from the 2018-19 season after they had made the playoffs the previous year, I would make that their permanent white uniform, um, keep the reds as their primary um, color uniform, and then just go back to the drawing board for their city uniform and for their um, and for their fourth uniform. Because the red jersey and the earned jersey, those are nice. Keep those and the city jersey. Like I said, the city jersey is growing on me, um, but it's still not a good uniform. All right, friends, we're yeah. at the hour. Oh, go ahead, Jamal. Yeah, just one thing to add. Like I've been begging for this. I've tweeted out I don't know how many times over the years, but Pelicans just put put like a hundred thousand dollars up and say you know any artist in the city you know have at it right have a competition. We'll pick, you know, after, I don't know, a few months, we'll pick whoever did the best one. They'll win 100, 100 grand and, you know, you know, season tickets or something like that. And I guarantee you, you're going to get something that the city loves, right? Because, you know, no one knows the city better than all the artists in the city. And there's so many creative people. I guarantee you, you would come up with something that's really nice. And it'll probably be, be cheaper than hiring these professional consultants. You know what would be fun? Kevin and Grubb will be splitting that money. <laughs> he would. <laughs> I mean, those two have come up with some ingenious ideas over the years that we've all kind of been witness to. So, yeah, that would be fun. Just in general, I like that idea, Jamal, but I don't think it would take 100000 do you? <laughs> no, it wouldn't. But, you know, People would sell yeah. for less. Whoa, 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 whoa. Got- you're, right now you're counting Kevin and Grubb's money, man. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> I was like, I'd do that for 500. Uh, that's all the time we have for now. Uh, thanks so much for listening and thanks so much for our questions. And also, uh, really want to thank everybody for helping share our podcast. Uh, we've been doing really, really well the last month. Our rep, uh, Andrew Stevens, revealed some of the numbers with me. Uh, so just want to say thank you. Thank you guys so much. Every like, retweet, every like, everything that you guys do just goes such a long way. So just thank you. Uh, before we wrap up, Ali, uh, obviously we got another, it feels like there's a game every day. Um, and I guess that's because oh. there has been the past two days. Uh, so we got another one. Uh, by the time everybody listens to this, there's probably going to be a Rockets game tonight. Do you want to give us a quick preview? What do you mean a Rockets game tonight? They got a couple of days off today and tomorrow. They play Tuesday. I just mean when yep. people are listening to this. Ah, I got you. No, I'm not doing any previews, man, because just like the Pelicans have been playing a lot, I've been putting a lot of time and energy into this, so I'm going to enjoy my day off. But I will say, I'm going to concentrate on doing an article on Lonzo Ball, and I want to look into the numbers of why this Pelicans team suddenly playing well. And if you guys just look, points off turnover, second chance points, fast break points, points in the paint, they're all doing well in, and the opponents are not. So there's something really happening here. All right, Fish, uh, you've been unearthing some pretty cool data. Uh, what are you going to look into next? Um, actually, um, later this evening, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start pulling data for the next piece that I'm going to do in terms of just where the, 
um, it's going to line up with a lot of things that Ollie just said in terms of what shots are the Pelicans creating, what shots are the Pelicans allowing. Um, usually the Super Bowl is a good time because all the games will be over early. Um, so when I go to pull data at like nine o'clock, all the stuff on NBA stats should be up to date. Just comparing where the Pelicans are to league average in terms of creating open three pointers, um, creating shots at the rim, um, and then what they're do and what their opponents are doing. Um, I'm hoping that I can get that published on Monday morning. Nice. All right, Jamal. Uh, first up for you, you probably need to take a nap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've actually got some uh, food waiting downstairs for me, so I'm gonna smack back on that and uh, take a nap. Sunday's really my only day because my wife has enough time to like watch the kids sometimes. So, yeah, I'm gonna get some sleep, and I think I have the recap. I think I might have the recap of the Rockets game. So, nice. Uh, hopefully, it, it goes our way. How are you doing this year with recap? With recaps, are the teams winning whenever you're on them? It's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. You know, my, my, my previous streak of wins, I don't know how long it was, um, has come to an end. But uh, I think the last – no, no, I actually haven't had any in a row. It's like win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. Yeah, because you handed me a loss the other night. <laughs> yeah, 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 that was, that was convenient. <laughs> all right, friends. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you guys all have a great Super Bowl Sunday. If you listen to this uh, in the next few hours, you're missing the game, which good for you. We don't need to watch Tom Brady in the Super Bowl for the 11th time. I've seen it. I've seen that movie. Uh, unless you want to check out the weekend, then good for you. Uh, again, thank you guys for listening. For now, let's dance. Let's go Pels. for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today